This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSC.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, good evening, everybody, everybody, and welcome into Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network on this Friday night edition. Phil Kornblut coming to you from the home studio tonight. Pat Daniel back at our studio in downtown Columbia. Chris Bergen will be joining us from Troy, Alabama a little bit later on. He's on the scene there for basketball tonight as Coastal Carolina closes out the regular season against Troy. Then it's off to the tournament for our Coastal Carolina in Pensacola, Florida. we got baseball everywhere. We'll be updating that for you. Talk about the other basketball games uh, tomorrow. South Carolina, of course, on the road to Tennessee and Clemson playing a huge game for them in the ACC at uh, North Carolina State. Plus, there's other basketball we'll touch on as well. Jeff Owens will be here a little bit later on about the NASCAR race this weekend out in, uh, well, California, Los Angeles area, and George Bryan, Robbie Thames, and others will join us here at 7.30 for another edition of Birdies, Bogies, and Biceps around the uh, state of South Carolina. And Jim Corbett returns, the uh, official attorney for Sports Talk, though hopefully we never have to use him for anything. But if we had to use him, we'd be more than happy to use him because today the Murdoch trial wrapped up as far as the uh, cross-examination by the prosecution. And so he'll join us to share his thoughts on what happened today and what to look forward to there uh, moving forward as that trial, the most talked-about trial in the country in many, many years, covered by all the major networks live, uh, word for word, story for story. It is... uh, been something to see down in uh, Walterboro, to say the least. we got that coming your way. And, of course, recruiting. We'll have that for you, too. You can join us, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery. Lucky number for you here on Sports Talk. You can get through and join us. Love to hear what's on your mind tonight as we head into this weekend of sports activity here in South Carolina and uh, around the country. All right, baseball-wise, Clemson and Central Florida are in a rain delay up at Doug Kingsmore Stadium, Central Florida has a 2-1 to one lead on the Tigers, 2-3-1 and one for the Knights, 1-5-0 and oh for the Tigers. UCF scored two runs in the second. Clemson came back with a run in the third. It's 2-1 to one UCF in a rain delay there, and I think the last tweet I saw, they were looking at a restart at around 640. As far as the scoring goes, the two runs for UCF coming on a uh, – a double, a two-run double in the top of the second. In the bottom of the second, the Tigers got their run in on a bases-loaded walk. So 2-1, to one, UCF leading Clemson. As far as the pitching for Clemson, Ammons has gone five innings. He's allowed three hits, two runs, both earned. He has struck out 10, 10 in five innings, and he has walked three. Uh, question is, uh, will he return from this rain delay once they get back to 
uh, uh, playing there at Doug Kingsmore Stadium. So Clemson is down to UCF 2-1. to one. Meantime, South Carolina at Founders Park has a 6-1 lead, top of the 7th, over Penn. I was over there for that before uh, departing, and the rain clouds, the the, the the sky had turned definitely gray, and the chance of rain is in the area uh, both tonight and for uh, tomorrow morning and maybe parts of tomorrow here in Columbia. But the Gamecocks have taken a 6-1 lead. They're in the top of the seventh inning. The uh, Quakers have second and third and one out. The Gamecocks scored five runs in the second. Uh, Penn scored a run in the fifth. The Gamecocks added their sixth run in the sixth. As far as the scoring, Petrie hit another homer for the Gamecocks. It was a three-run shot in the second. And then Denny had a two-run single. Then in the uh, sixth inning for the Gamecocks, Denny once again singled to right field for an RBI. So he's having a good day driving in runs. Gamecocks are up 6-1 to one. as far as the pitching goes. Sanders started. He went five innings, allowed four hits, one run. It was not earned. He walked two, and he struck out six. He threw 89 pitches, 58 for strikes. Austin followed an inning and a third, three hits, three strikeouts, 27 pitches, 19 for strikes, and Proctor is now on for the Gamecocks in the seventh inning. And, again, they have a 6-1 to lead in the top of the seventh. And we'll update other baseball here in just uh, a little bit. So we got a lot of stuff uh, going on and uh, some other uh, things to pass along to you here as we uh, as we get to things. We've got the high school upper and lower state basketball finals uh, ongoing here uh, this afternoon and through the weekend and uh, into Monday. And tell you a little bit about what's going on with that. The state newspaper does an excellent job of providing updated scores from the venues. They're playing up in Greenville at Bob Jones University, and they're playing in Florence at the Florence Center, no longer the Civic Center. I think it's the Florence Center. So today, in 2A girls, Gray Collegiate beat Keenan 46-38 to advance to the state championship game. In 2A boys, Gray Collegiate Beat Keenan 72 to 66. Coming up in 4A girls, it's North Augusta against Wade Hampton. In fact, that game should be going on as we speak. And then tonight, it's Greenville against Lancaster in 4A boys. Saturday at Bob Jones, you've got in the girls' action, Class A, St. Joseph's against Denmark at noon. 1A boys, Christ Church in Great Falls at 2. 3A girls, Southside and Wren at 5.30, and 3A boys, Wren and Travelers Rest at 7.30. Then on Monday, to wrap up Upper State uh, Finals, 5A girls, Malden and Spring Valley, 5.30, and the boys, Lexington and Dorman at 7.30. That should, be a, that should be a heck of a game. They should all be good. Now, Lower State in Florence today in 2A girls, Bishop England beat Andrew Jackson 39-38. 2A boys, Oceanside over Andrew Jackson, 75-38. Now underway, 4A girls, Westwood is playing AC Flora. And tonight in 4A boys, it's Irmo and Hartsville. Saturday, 1A girls, Lakeview against Military Magnet at noon. 1A boys, Scott's Branch against Estel. Estel, I believe I was told this at the football coaches clinic. 
I think Estill and Wade Hampton of Hampton are merging, right? Merging to form Hampton County High School. So this might be one of the last opportunities for a state championship there for Estill. 3A girls, Camden against Lower Richland, and 3A boys, Crestwood against Orangeburg-Wilkinson. And then on Monday, 5A girls, Sumter and Stratford at 530. The 5A boys, Conway against Goose Creek at 730. I was told today that Conway has never won a state championship in basketball. Of course, not in football either, though they've had really, really good football programs, football teams over the years, never won a state championship. And this Conway team is supposed to be very, very good. So we'll see what happens there Monday, 5A boys, Conway against uh, Goose Creek. So there you go. That's how things stand right now in the high school basketball situation here in South Carolina as that uh, rolls to a close. A couple of other notes before we hit our opening break. And you can join us, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery. Lucky number. A couple of other notes for you. We have um, an update from the Gamecocks on the stadium project. And the university announced today that the university is filing a slightly modified, uh, modified request for information. Let's try that again. A slightly modified request for information, RFI, for the stadium renovation project. The RFI will include a new deadline for response. The original deadline, if my memory is correct, was like March the 7th. Now the new deadline for response is going to be March 31st. And a question and answer section is also included in this new RFI. The university is receiving a strong response, they say, from vendors, and extending the deadline will allow all interested parties to participate. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit longer before that is all uh, wrapped up. And we have the college uh, football schedule for Coastal Carolina now official for the coming season. That was announced today as the Sun Belt finalized all their football schedules for the 23 season. A lot of this we already knew. But the Shawnee Clears will open up September 2nd at UCLA. Nice place to open up in the Rose Bowl. September 9th, home to Jacksonville State. So Rich Rod and the Gamecocks come to Conway. September 16th at home against Duquesne. A Thursday night game, September 21st at home against Georgia State. That should be fun. September 30th at Georgia Southern. Then, October 10th, home, I'm sorry, at, they've got three straight road games. October 10th, a Tuesday night at Appalachian State. Then, October 21st, at Arkansas State. Home game, October 28th against Marshall. November 4th, they go to Old Dominion. November 11th, Texas State visits. November 18th, up to Army. That should be beautiful up there that time of year. And November 25th, at home against James Madison. That is the Coastal Carolina schedule. With that, we welcome in Chris Bergen, who is now on site in place for Coastal Carolina basketball. But, man, I got to love that football schedule opening up out in L.A., going up to one of the most beautiful sites in the country to see a football game at Army, and then a couple of midweek games. Not so crazy about a Tuesday night game, but I don't mind a Thursday night game. Jamie Chadwell, a couple of years ago when they had to go to Appalachian and play on a Thursday, I think it was following a uh, tough road trip on the previous Saturday, was not happy with the Sun Belt at all. I can't imagine Tim Beck's 
overly impressed with his first schedule when he sees a Tuesday game. I just I don't understand why colleges play a Tuesday night football. Well, excuse me, let me back up. I understand why. It makes no sense, though, because it's an opportunity for the Sun Belt, much like the MAC and some of the other mid-major conferences, to get on television, Phil. But that totally derails your schedule because Coastal won't play the Saturday before the Tuesday game, obviously. They won't play the Saturday after the Tuesday game. So you've got like 10 days beforehand to get ready for Appalachian. Then you also have 10 days afterwards to either, you know, lick your wounds or come off a big momentum win on the road and try and carry that momentum further. I just, I don't like the Tuesday games. Thursday to me is fine in college football. That's about as far back into the week as we should go. But that uh, all that toothpaste is out of the tube, so we're never going to see that happen again. But yeah, I, I can't imagine they're overly thrilled with that Tuesday game. Some of the road trips, though, UCLA. I've actually been out there. Folks may not remember Coastal basketball has actually played at UCLA several several years ago. So I got to go inside Paulie's Pavilion, and I'm hoping if they don't kick me to the curb at CCU, I'll hmm. still be around when the football team goes out to Los Angeles. Are there to, uh, are there rumors? UCLA. Are there rumors <laughs> of that happening? I haven't heard them. Phil, you know how we are. We're all day-to-day, my friend. Well, this is true. As a matter of fact, (laughs) uh, you bring that up, and I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet today, and this kind of – I retweeted this because, I mean, it's scary from a media standpoint, but I saw a tweet today from a gentleman named Christian Capel. Don't know him, but he tweeted out that the athletic, okay, the athletic – no longer intends to cover Washington football, University of Washington football. So he's unemployed. Uh, so he's looking for I work. Saw that myself. But the point is, here is the Athletic, which of course is owned by the New York Times. I mean, they started out on their own, um, and they were failing financially, and so they were bought by the New York Times. It's still a failing operation financially, but it's become. I mean, really, it's probably supplanted Sports Illustrated as the national, as the national media outlets, where the writers went to and covers all the teams mm-hmm. collegiately and professionally. And um, when you see them dropping the football writer at a Power Five major Pac-12 university, you have to scratch your head about that and thinking, okay, who's next? How far is this going to reach? Well, do you get to a point where the athletic says maybe we don't cover the individual teams within said conference, Pac-12, SEC, Big Ten, whatever the case may be, and they just have a reporter who covers the SEC, for instance, and they'll do big stories like when Georgia faces Alabama, that'll be the game they cover that week. South Carolina, Tennessee, we'll cover that game. You know, Florida, Georgia, obviously going to be there for that. Instead of having an individual beat reporter like we're – you and I grew up following. Everybody, every team had a beat reporter. They covered everything they did. They went to practice. They, they covered the games. They did everything. Maybe that's the direction the athletic is going in. And uh, to me, that's that's not good for the fans. Every time this happens, it, it doesn't necessarily hurt the schools. It's just bad for the fans. I agree. I agree. I mean, when you when you um, what you're talking about doing, I mean, I just think that waters down their coverage, and that will. You know, I think they would lose what what readership they have. I mean, people like – I think people like the individual coverage uh, as much as possible, the attention to detail. Uh, now, maybe, you know, they can't compete. Maybe they can't compete with the 24-7s and the on-3s and those networks that have individuals embedded, basically embedded 
with the respective programs that give you every little detail that is happening in that program. Um, you know, you wonder. But, I mean, Washington is not the first. I think um, I'm not so sure. Uh, well, South Carolina doesn't. Uh, let me think. Uh, yeah, the Gamecocks don't have anybody. They don't have anybody from the athletic covering them, per se. And Clemson used to, but I think I think Grace Rayner has moved on to uh, some maybe part-time coverage of Clemson, but she's on to doing some other things within that organization. So, I mean, I guess it's not everybody. They're not covering everybody in the country. So I guess maybe we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised that this has happened out there with the with the Huskies. Uh, Pat's got some breaking news for us. He says it's pretty important, so go ahead, sir. Yeah, this news is coming out of Knoxville, Tennessee this afternoon. Tennessee head baseball coach Tony Vitello has been suspended for this weekend series against Dayton while the school continues to work through an NCAA investigation. Uh, The Volunteers announced this news in the statement this afternoon. Coincidentally, wink, wink, just a few hours after OutKick's Trey Wallace was the first one to break this story and reported the volunteers are the subject of an NCAA inquiry. This is regarding tampering allegations in their recruitment of transfer Maui Ahuna, who Mm. is still currently waiting for his waiting for his eligibility clearance from the NCAA and has yet to play a game this season for the volunteers. He's a talented player who was one of the biggest names in the transfer portal in the off season who transferred to Tennessee from Kansas where he batted 396 last season with eight home runs and 48 RBIs on a struggling Kansas team. More to come on this, I'm sure. Gee, imagine somebody tampering in the transfer portal, John. That's a that's new one on me, Chris. I, I never thought that could happen. Well, I think it's hilarious, too. First off, for Tony Vitello to get actually under NCAA investigation because of what we witnessed his act last year throughout the uh, throughout the SEC season in the NCAA. So he may have drawn attention upon himself he didn't need. But I do find it ironic that also on this day that we get that news that Pat just passed along. Also saw a story earlier today that the uh, twin sisters who are playing basketball from Miami, the NCAA has decided they're the ones we're going to get for recruiting violations because they had dinner allegedly with one of their big boosters before they signed with Miami. So evidently that they put two and two together, and that's why those two ladies signed with Miami because they had dinner with that big booster down in Miami. So yeah. we're not going to deal with the football programs. We're not going to deal with the basketball programs, but we'll get the women's basketball program in Miami, and the NCAA is going to sink their teeth in there. That's that's yeah. going to be where it starts. Well, and the thing about that one is, too, that uh, they called it a level two violation, uh, and they, they did not suspend the players. Uh, there was a fine involved, and there was a one-year probation um, handed down to Miami out of this, uh, and I think they have some sanctions against them from a recruiting standpoint. But basically, by and large, uh, they were hit with wet noodles. Okay, nothing, <laughs> nothing major, nothing major there as far as this is concerned. Because I mean, what can the NC, what can the NCAA do, and how can they? I mean, I, I know they're trying to uh, take the uh, NIL out of the recruiting uh, part of it, but again. If these girls wanted to pursue something legally and say, hey, you are interfering with our ability to make money off our name, image, and likeness, it doesn't matter. If they wanted to take it to court, guys, and say, look, it doesn't matter when this happens, whether it's in high school that we're approached uh, or it's when um, we're being recruited and it's, it's tossed out to us and they're offering us money, 
you're interfering with our ability to make money off our name, image, and likeness. How would that stand up in court, Chris? I think we might have lost Chris. How would that stand up in court, Pat, in your opinion? I don't think it would stand up at all. Probably not. I, I'll i be honest with you, Phil, though. I missed part of what you said there finishing this this commercial break, and we had a caller call in. Um, so please repeat that, if you will, or give your opinion. Well, what I was talking about was the situation at Miami and the NCAA hitting them with some minor penalties over the recruitment of the two uh, transfer twins to the women's basketball team who were very good players and hitting them with this penalty because they had dinner with the, that major booster down there who's handling all the NIL stuff. And I, my theory, my thinking is if they wanted to fight back in, a, in court and say, hey, you know, you're interfering with our ability to go through the NIL process and make money off our name, image, and likeness, something the Supreme Court said that we can do. How can the NCAA step in and stop that? Great question. I think they would lose in court. I think they I think they probably would too. And this all still, I could be wrong, but to me goes back to the the one point, the linchpin of all this, if you will. Are we going to consider these collegiate athletes and I guess high school athletes at some point, are they employees of these respective schools or are they independent contractors or what is, how are we labeling these, these young men and women in regards to these jobs, if if it is affiliated with the university, then I'm not quite sure that the NCAA can't have rules against them. But if they're not considered part of the university and it's just essentially an independent job, no other, no different than if you or I are in college and go get a random job around town, I don't quite see how the NCAA could do anything at all. So I think it really comes down to how are we viewing these student athletes? Are they employees or are they not? Well, I just think that um, if somebody wanted to push it, as they've done in the past, I don't think the NCAA has a leg to stand on if it does anything to infringe on the athlete's ability to make money. How can the NCAA argue in court when the Supreme Court has already said that you can't stop an athlete from making money off their name, image, and likeness? Um, How can the NCAA then turn around and say, well, you can't do it during the recruiting process. Would the Supreme Court differentiate between that and when you're actually in school? Would they even care? Or even if you're in high school, don't you think the Supreme Court, based on the earlier ruling, would come back and say, hey, it doesn't matter when. They can make money off their name at any time in their lives in the process, and you can't do anything to interfere with that now that Chris is back. What do you think? They absolutely would do that. Guys, I apologize. The radio TV voice for Troy came over to say hello, I think, about the time you asked me a question. So had to had to be polite for a second, so I apologize about that. But, Phil, I think you're right. I don't know that the Supreme Court would care. And secondly, I think they probably look at the NCAA and say, all right, fine. If you want to sink your teeth into – Women's basketball, what are you doing about football? We've seen this happen time and time again, using NIL as a recruitment tool and leverage. We've seen it happen time and time again. They haven't touched football, and now you're going to come out and women's basketball is the first place you want to start. I don't think they've got a leg to stand on, and I can't imagine this is going to hold up if if the two young ladies down at Miami decide, you know what, we're going to push this issue. We, we may be the, uh, the people that turn from what we currently have now, turn it to a situation where we are physical employees with the universities and they can't step in the NCAA 
in my mind, can't step in and tell us what we can or can't do with regards to name, image, and likeness. Yeah, I just, I just don't see where they have a leg to stand on in any of this conversation. Six to four now. Uh, Penn has come back against the Gamecocks. My goodness, the Gamecocks are not going to. Well, there's still some innings to be played, but they have a game on their hands. Uh, they're only up six to four, bottom of the seventh, and. Austin ended up giving up uh, two runs, and then Proctor, he's given up a run. The Gamecocks are batting bottom of the seventh. They have corners with two men out, and they are leading 6-4. to four. Clemson's still in that rain delay with UCF. Should be cranking up in about 10 minutes or so, and they are down 2-1. to one. We'll update other baseball for you after the break. Uh, we'll continue with Chris, I think, for a little while longer before yes, he sir. has I'll to. I'll be with you guys until 7. Oh, we are so excited about that. (laughs) Uh, Jeff Owens. Jeff Owens as well in our next hour. And a visit from, of course, Jim Corbett and George Bryan and more. We'll be back. Welcome back, everybody. Sports talk on a Friday night across the state of South Carolina. Could be a bit of a stormy night across the state as the the weather moves in. Still pretty warm today. Going to cool off a little bit over the weekend, but not like it is up in Michigan and Illinois and places like that where they've had like some really heavy winter action. We're not going to have that here. Our phone number, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery Lucky number, more than $6 billion in lottery proceeds have been used to support South Carolina educational programs since 2002. You can learn more about the lottery's impact at sceducationlottery.com slash education wins. We all know playing for fun is a win for education. All right, let me update some other baseball. South Carolina and Penn at 6-4, top of the eighth. So the Gamecocks didn't score when they had uh, corners there in the bottom of the seventh. 6-4, top of the eighth. Gamecocks are up by two. Clemson, UCF, 2-1. Rain delay, middle of the fifth. It's a Presbyterian beating Toledo 7-6 today over in uh, Clinton. So good win there for the Blue Hose. They win it 7-6. Coach uh, McGuire from – Upstate will probably never speak to us again. They lost to Michigan State today, uh, 13-6. First game of the tournament they're having there in Spartanburg uh, this weekend. So they fall 13-6, their first loss of the season. Uh, We've got uh, Kent State leading Wofford, bottom of the third, three to nothing. And uh, some other scores for you across the SEC, ACC, around the state. uh, Alabama beat High Point 9-4. Notre Dame leads Greensboro 6-4. to four. It's in the top of the ninth. UMBC, Maryland-Baltimore County leading the College of Charleston 7-2. Bottom of the eighth. Creighton is leading Coastal Carolina 8-5. Bottom of the sixth. North Carolina 1-0 over East Carolina. Top of the seventh. Bet you that place is packed over in Greenville, North Carolina. In the eighth, Duke 20, Baylor 1. Tennessee with its coach on the sideline, leading Dayton 9-2, top of the sixth. 
Georgia 7-1 over Princeton, bottom of the fifth. Arizona State is shutting out Mississippi State 9-0, top of the fifth. They're kind of off to a shaky start there at Mississippi State, 3-2. Remember now, just a couple of years ago, Chris Limonis and company, they won the national championship, but their fans are getting a little antsy. They had a tough year last year, a lot of injuries, and off to kind of a less than impressive start so far this year. Uh, it's uh, Virginia leading Columbia 6-1, to one, top of the fourth. Vanderbilt and UCLA are scoreless in the fourth. Wake Forest leads Binghamton 3 nothing, bottom of the second. And we've got uh, Missouri and FIU are scoreless, top of the first. And Florida, Cincinnati are scoreless, bottom of the first. There you go with the baseball action around the SEC, ACC, and around the state thus far. All right. Well, don't you think if you're Eric Backett and also Mark Kingston, you actually like a game like you're playing today where you, after so many blowouts to open up the uh, season, I would think both of those coaches, maybe not that they are they could potentially lose, but I would think both of them are excited to see somebody challenge their team to see how they'll respond before that big South Carolina Clemson series comes up here what, next weekend. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, Clemson did have a close one against Binghamton in that middle game of the weekend series last right. weekend. They won 3-2. Uh, South Carolina had nothing but walkovers in their first five games. So, yeah, a little bit of a challenge here. This Penn team, they said, was a pretty good team, and this is their season opener. Uh, they've come down south, of course. I guess they maybe are on a spring break or something. They've come down south. Uh, this is, I guess, one of the few times they've been able to get outside, and they're making a – they're making a decent showing for themselves uh, at this point in time. Okay, uh, let's go to the phones. We have uh, Gamecock Larry. Oh, we lost Gamecock Larry. Well, if you find Gamecock Larry, bring him back to us. All right, so the lines are open, 888 A few other notes to uh, pass along to you, some things that uh, caught my eye today that I thought were kind of interesting to uh, share. So we, of course, talked about the Brandon Miller situation a lot when Alabama was coming into Columbia to play this week, and we talked about it some last night. And of course, the national media have been writing about this thing as well, and it's not looking good nationally. Basically, Alabama is getting fried nationally for the handling of this thing, and this doesn't help when the mother of the deceased girl is quoted as saying, it's unimaginable that Alabama allowed Miller to play against the Gamecocks the day after law enforcement testified that Miller delivered the gun. Uh, you know the background on that. You know Miller scored 41 against the Gamecocks. But um, the the mother of the, the victim, DeCarla Cotton, is the mother. She told USA Today Sports, quote, it's just unimaginable. And it's like his life is just going on. He took a brief pause, and it didn't stop. It's like, okay, slap on the wrist and go play ball. They're worried about his career. But what about this five-year-old boy, the son of the slain woman? He's the true victim in all this. He won't have a mother anymore to influence his growing up and who he is going to be, end quote. Cotton said it should have been clear to Miller that the gun could result in violence. Oh, yeah? Uh, the gun belonged to Miles, who has since been removed from the team. And we know the story. And she went on to say, quote, when somebody says bring a gun to them, what do you think they're going to do with it? And if there was no gun, she would not be dead. 
end of the quote. The uh, stepfather for the uh, deceased woman, Delvin Hurd, said the handling of the situation by Alabama coach Nate Oates has been, quote, god-awful. Hurd said Oates crossed the line Tuesday when Oates said Miller had been, quote, at the wrong spot at the wrong time, end quote. Of course, he later backtracked from what he said. Hurd continued to say, quote, the retraction, the retraction meant nothing to us because over the five-week period, he's made a habit of making reckless statements. When I say reckless, I mean statements not considering the victim in this whole thing, which is Jamia Harris, end quote. So, yeah, I think Alabama has royally messed this thing up for them. I think it's another black eye for college sports. I think it's a further indication that some people, I dare say most people, but I'll limit it to say some people who run college athletic programs could give a damn about anything else besides making money and trying to win games and doing it however they see fit. Miller should not have played against South Carolina for the very, for the at, at least for the reason that, he, in all likelihood, they violated the university policy about having a gun on campus. And if you want to play, well, he never really was on campus. You know, they live a half a mile off campus, and the gun never actually touched campus. I mean, give me a freaking break. Um, and to come out and say, well, he never touched the gun. I mean, that is just about as cold and callous as small as you can get as a man in charge of a multi-million dollar program, which is the University of Alabama basketball team. And part of your charge as a coach is to be, uh, what, molding these young boys into men for the future, right? That aspect of being a college coach has long been lost on many coaches. I'm not going to say all, but some. Maybe even many. It, it infuriates me. I, I'd like to let this story go, but I, I see this as just another indication of where, you know, where Alabama looked at this, um, and Alabama is not alone. They're not on an island by themselves when it comes to these situations in college athletics. I, I would like to think, guys, I would like to think that in our state, and I'm not saying our schools are by any means perfect in what they do, but I would like to think that uh, – in our state, uh, the officials involved at the at the schools would have stood up to this and said, no, wait a minute, you're not playing. You're suspended until all this is investigated. We saw what South Carolina did with their three football players. And I would hope and think that Clemson and Furman and Wofford and the other, and Citadel and Coastal and all the others would, would do the same thing, I would hope. I think this is a terrible, terrible deal, and um, – and, you know, Alabama's going to move forward now into the NCAA tournament. Are you going to hide Brandon Miller? They hit him from the media Wednesday night. Okay. Uh, now they play Texas A&M, big game Saturday. Uh, you going to hide him from the media then? What are you going to do at the NCAA tournament? You going to hide him from the media there? The scrutiny's only going to get worse, Chris, as they move into the NCAA tournament. Well, if you think the treatment he got by the uh, Gamecock fans who kept chanting, lock him up, is bad, imagine what's going to happen in some of the other places where teams are, and this is not a knock on Carolina, but it's where their team is right now. Teams that are competitive and can beat Alabama, and you add the fan 
fervor on top of that, and especially when they get into the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament. As you pointed out, Phil, you've got you've got to make him available. You just can't continue to hide this young man. He's got to answer for some things. And the most disgusting part I saw people trying to defend Alabama's decision here, well, he wasn't charged with a crime. Is that where the bar is now set in college athletics? It is so low that uh, you can play, you can be a bad teammate, you can show up late for meetings, you can do all kinds of stuff, but as long as you don't commit a crime, you're welcome on our team. I mean, good grief. Has, have, have we gotten that that far down where that's the only thing that separates you from being in the stands? Just don't commit a crime and you can participate on our team. There's no question that Brandon Miller was involved in this, whether legally he was involved or not. He brought the gun to the site of a murder. He shouldn't have played on Wednesday. He shouldn't play the rest of the year until they get all of this sorted out. He should have been suspended immediately when all this news. Heck, he should have been suspended when Alabama found out about this in January. Mm -hmm. It's amazing we had to find out about it in February before everybody understood what exactly was going on. But, it, you know, it's, it's just infuriating to sit there and watch this situation play out. And then people defend him by saying, well, you know, he wasn't charged with a crime, so why shouldn't he play? I, I just can't believe we've gotten to a point that's as low as the bar is to be able to participate in college athletics. As long as you don't commit a crime, you can play. Yeah, it's a joke. It's a joke. Meantime, at Ole Miss, they have fired Kermit Davis. Uh, Kermit Davis, who came in from Middle Tennessee State. And, you know, I think. Did okay early on in Ole Miss, but not so not so good lately. So they have fired him effective immediately, and they are starting a national search for a new basketball coach at uh, Ole Miss. And uh, we'll see what direction they move in for that. That's not a bad job. They got a beautiful new arena, and they got you got good basketball players in the state of Mississippi. That's not a bad job, Chris. And did I hear correctly, because we were talking about this at pregame meal today around the Coastal Basketball team, and I think one of the names that is already being tossed out is Will Wade, former disgraced LSU coach. I think you'd probably have to deal with show calls to get him into the into the building. But could you imagine, let's just speculate for a moment, how ridiculous this would be, but how much fun it would be, too, on the flip side. Could you imagine Will Wade and Lane Kiffin in the same athletic department? <laughs> I can't see anybody touching Will Wade with a 100-foot pole wrapped in dollar bills presented to them by one of their boosters, (laughs) given to them by a collective. I just can't see them doing that. I mean, that would be impossible. It would be impossible to get him uh, him through, uh, I would say, in in that situation. Um, So – Right, we'll see I would what agree with down you if, if if Bruce Pearl weren't still employed in college basketball, I would agree with you that it should not happen. But I will use Bruce Pearl as example the, A at Auburn. What was the worst thing that Pearl did that that uh, got him in trouble at Tennessee? What was – I can't remember oh the, the strongest charge against him. Do you remember the strongest charges against him? I don't remember. I mean, here's a guy that was a snitch on his own program back when he was coaching before he even got to Tennessee. I mean, he's cheated and been a sleazeball everywhere he's been. Mm. And I can't imagine he's not doing the same at Auburn. It's just his nature. So, I mean, you yeah. know, if, if he just didn't if, get caught up mind, in the Bruce F- Pearl. Yeah, he just didn't get Bruce caught Pearl up in the FBI job. sting, though. I mean, you know, Will Wade no, was true. caught up in that FBI sting. Well, wasn't, uh, gosh, wasn't, um, oh, shoot. His name escapes me right now at Kansas. Uh, yes, he was. Yeah, to yes. some degree. To some degree, and his name was job. mentioned. But I don't think they. I don't think they ever pinned anything on him on Bill Self. 
Thank you, Bill um, Self, yeah. I don't think they ever pinned anything on him. I don't think they ever pinned anything on Kansas because I don't think they received any sanctions or anything, any probation or anything like that. Um, all right, a couple of other things. We'll go to the break. Joe Lenardi, his Friday morning bracketology. The College of Charleston. What do you have to do, Charleston? Uh, they won last night. They beat Towson. They've won 27 games, but they're number 71 in his bracketology. That means you're the third team out, uh, the third team of the first four out. So you're number 71. That's not good enough. Clemson is number 75. They're the second team of the next four out. So you have the first four out, then you have the next four out, uh, and you're number 75. Now, if you're a coach, let's say, and you're looking for a contract extension and you pull up Joe Lenardi's thing and give it to your AD and you – you weren't in the first four out, and you weren't in the next four out, and you weren't in the next four out, but you were in the next four out. <laughs> Is that an argument for getting a contract extension? We were in the group of the fourth group of the four out. Is that close enough to get me an extension? <laughs> no, it's not. And to answer your question about the college, it's pretty simple now, Phil. What they've done during the regular season is not going to be enough. They have got to win the Colonial Tournament to get that auto bid because if they don't, I think they're going to be in the NIT. They're going to be left out. And for Clemson, got to find a way to beat either NC State or Virginia, I think, and beating both of them would be really, really helpful. But I still think they're probably going to have to advance to the quarters, if not even further, in the ACC Tournament to make sure they're in. Well, he has Alabama as the top overall seed. Okay, have fun with that. Uh, Purdue is a top seed, Kansas is a top seed, and Houston is a top seed. He's got Asheville in from the Big South as a 16 seed to play Houston. He's got Sanford in from the uh, Southern. Now, Furman and Sanford play in Birmingham tomorrow, and that game's for the regular season championship in the Southern Conference. So, I mean, Furman's got a they got a chance. They got a they got to uh, win the tournament, of course. He's got Samford as a 15 seed playing UCLA right now. No Clemson, uh, no College of Charleston, no uh, no nobody else from the state of South Carolina. His last team in is Mississippi State, and his first team out is Penn State. Um, his last four buys are Pitt, Nevada, Memphis, West Virginia. His last four in, in order, Oklahoma State, Southern Cal, Wisconsin, and Mississippi State. Right now he's got North Carolina among the first four out. So going from the, uh, what, uh, national championship. They Didn't they, yeah. they play for the national championship for last year, right? Yeah. And Lost we're going to season number one. Yeah. To first four out with a bunch of that team returning, if my memory serves me right. All right, we got to hit the break. Are you with us or are you gone? No, I'll be with you guys up until 7 o'clock. Then I'm going to have to slide over and get ready for Coastal and Troy. The world awaits. All right, let's go to our break, and uh, we will come back with more. In fact, uh, Lenardi's got nine in from the Big Ten, eight from the Big 12, eight from the SEC, five from the ACC, and five from the Big East. Okay, we'll hit the break. Finally, the break, and we'll be back.
George Bryant here with Tsunami Bar Sports, and wow, Tsunami Robbie, there is now an amazing technology that you can use when you train, receiving large gain without having to endure pain. Please explain. George, that is the magic combination. I have three simple words to define that entire concept. Stimulation, not annihilation. Regardless of your training goals, there is a level of stimulation that is optimal for your desired gains. Tsunami Bar's flexible bar technology meets these demands because the user determines the level of stimulation with the amount of speed and force they impart into the bar or training device. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. Have you turned on the fun? Try Cash Pop from the South Carolina Education Lottery. Pick one number from 1 to 15. Win up to $2,500. Or play all 15 numbers. And you're guaranteed to win. Play twice a day to double your fun. It really is that easy. Visit sceducationlottery.com to get the details. Cash pop. It's the light of the party. Major Billy Downer here from the Department of Natural Resources, and DNR is excited to announce the implementation of Go Outdoors SC, a new online licensing and boat titling system that you can access right from your phone. Through this new system, customers can purchase their hunting and fishing licenses, renew their boats, apply for lottery hunt opportunities, and complete electronic harvest reporting requirements. For more information, visit Go Outdoors SC at your local app store. Let's give you that recruiting report brought to you by Seawells. Hey, remember, you got something coming up and he's the best in the catering business. Just give Seawells a call at 803-771-7385. Check them out online at SeawellsCateringSC.com. For nearly 80 years, they have brought the best in the catering business to people all over the state of South Carolina. And don't forget, next week, every day, Monday through Friday, the daily luncheon buffet, 11 to 2. Hope you got a chance to get out there today for a roast beef Friday. So in recruiting, uh, Clemson on this quarterback, Air Nolan, 6'3", 195, Fairburn, Georgia. First name is Prentice. He said, you can call me Prentice or you can call me Air. I prefer to call him Air. Air Nolan, he's a lefty. Impressive offer list, Alabama, Arkansas, Miami, Texas A&M, Auburn, Tulane, NC State, Purdue, Louisville. He's been talking a lot to Dabo Sweeney, to Garrett Riley. He likes what he's hearing from them. He likes the air raid offense that Garrett Riley is going to implement at Clemson. And he said the schools that have been in touch with him the most on a pretty regular basis are the ones at the top of his list right now. And he's still, of course, not shutting anything down. But he mentioned Clemson, Ohio State, Texas A&M, Alabama, Arkansas, Miami, those being the ones right there who are in regular contact. So in January, he went to junior days at A&M in Alabama. He's going to go to Clemson March 10th and 11th, Arkansas 13-14, Miami on the 23rd, Ohio State on the 31st. The Buckeyes have not yet offered. 
He also has plans to visit Alabama, Texas A&M, and Purdue. Clemson has an offer, but he says he understands how Clemson works and how you got to build the relationship first and foremost before anything else happens. So he's been patient about that. He also is expecting to get an offer from Clemson when he's in for that visit in March. This is a guy that threw for over 4,000 yards last season, 55 touchdowns, four interceptions, completed 73% of his passes. USC's one of 12 programs to make the cut with receiver Zion Reagans of Gray, Georgia. Also Notre Dame, Western Kentucky, Florida State, Penn State, Oklahoma, Georgia, Colorado, Auburn, Tennessee, Miami, and Cincinnati in his top 12. He was at USC for the Georgia game. He's also a 100-meter champion in Georgia, been clocked at around 10-3. Receiver Jonathan Paler of Burlington, North Carolina, told 24-7 Sports he set officials to Clemson June 2nd, USC June 23rd, also going to Clemson unofficially March 11th for spring practice. Earlier this month, he told us he's favoring the Gamecocks. USC offered tight end Max LeBlanc, 6'4", 225 of Chattanooga. Earlier this month, he named the top eight of Ohio State, Penn State, Duke, Tennessee, Michigan, Kentucky, Miami, Stanford. USC also offered 2025 offensive tackle Peyton Joseph, 6'4", 280, Fort Valley, Georgia. Clemson offered offensive tackle Jaquan McRoy, 6'8", 345, Pinson, Alabama. He's named the top ten. Oregon, LSU, Tennessee, Auburn, Arkansas, Miami, Florida, Kentucky, Georgia, Ole Miss. He went to Auburn in late January. Dillon offensive tackle Josiah Thompson has scheduled an official to Alabama for June 9th per his coach. He's also set a visit to USC March 14th. Defensive tackle Camarion Franklin plans a visit to USC March 17th, according to Andrew Nemec of SB Live Sports. Franklin will also go to Florida State, Auburn, Miami in March, Texas A&M, Ohio State in April, and also to Oregon on a date to be determined. USC target cornerback Braden Lee was offered by Miami. All right, Chris, have a good call, and we'll be back after the top of the hour. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Okay, everybody, we're back with you. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network across the state of South Carolina. On this Friday night, Phil Kornblut and Pat Daniel with you now. Chris Bergen has moved on to his basketball duties between Coastal Carolina and Troy, a game that's meaningless for Coastal because they're already locked in to the number 12 seed for the Sunbelt Tournament. So uh, they already know that they'll be playing the 6 o'clock game Eastern time on Tuesday in Pensacola. But they would like to get a win and uh, have some momentum going into that tournament for sure. Jim Corbett, in just a moment, let me update a couple of things, including a couple of other recruiting notes I didn't get to before the break. Another offer from USC in the 25 class, defensive end Isaiah Campbell, 6'5", 265, out of Greenville, North Carolina. Greenville High offensive tackle Julius Tate was offered by Penn. He's also picked up recent offers from Coastal Carolina, 
James Madison and Old Dominion. Northwestern running back Turbo Richard was offered by Ohio. And in basketball, USC and Clemson target 6'4", Austin Swartz, who's had a great year and has really blown up as a recruit. He was offered by Mississippi State. And that will wrap up the recruiting report. Quick update on baseball. Clemson has tied it up with Central Florida, top of the seventh. It's a 2-2 game now, and the Tigers were down 2-1. They get an RBI. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, this hasn't uh, been updated to tell me how they scored. We just know that they have scored to tie it up in the top of the seventh at uh, 2-2. They have scored a run in the uh, in the fifth. They also scored a run in the third. I'm not seeing how they scored the run in the third. In the fifth, Cannonarola. Uh, hit a single at the middle for an RBI. I got to work on that name. Can can uh, maybe it's Canerola, Canerola. Got to work on that name before next week. He's a new one up there at Clemson. Tigers are two-two in their game, and uh, South Carolina has gone final. Gamecocks beat Penn seven to four. Will Sanders gets his first win of the season. Chris Veach gets the save for South Carolina. Seven ten and one for the Gamecocks. Four nine and zero. Oh, for the uh, Quakers, and today the Gamecocks hit two more home runs. Messina hit one, and Petrie hit one. Gives them, like, what, 22 homers on the season, I do believe. Denny had three hits, three RBIs for the Gamecocks. Petrie had three RBIs as well. Sanders the win, five innings, four hits, one run, two walks, six strikeouts. Austin, Proctor, Phipps, and Veach finished up. Veach going one in the third innings. Two strikeouts, no hits, and one walk. Okay, things are winding down in Walterboro in the uh, trial of the century in South Carolina, a trial that has caught the attention of the entire country. And we break away from sports talk for a moment to get some thoughts from Jim Corbett, who's been watching it all very closely because, obviously, it's not a sports thing at all. Though you could tie it into sports because the Murdoch family, Gamecocks, and big boosters to the Gamecocks. We're talking about feet on the floor at the arena, luxury suites at the stadium, major contributors, major boosters to the University of South Carolina. You wonder how much of that stolen money, Jim, might have been used for uh, athletic reasons at the University of South Carolina or anywhere else for that matter. Just things you think about out loud when it comes to this thing. I think those are valid questions for some people to think about. Um, it would be hard to miss the Murdoffs with their flaming red hair at some of those events and the, the close proximity of their seating. So, um, you know, it would be uh, not unusual for people to say, oh, now I know where I remember that guy from. So uh, how much of the uh, story did you follow today, Phil? In and out of the car, I was able to hear some of the uh testimony um i'll let you comment i i wanted to say that um judge janine uh, I, I heard her commentary afterwards and uh what's her last name judge janine piro piro yeah yeah yes uh and and she said that um you know the the uh, prosecutor mr waters she referred to him as a bulldog and, and she likes bulldog prosecutors but in her opinion mm-hmm. in her opinion uh Murdaugh won the courtroom today that 
that that Waters was too much of a bulldog all day long. She said you got to ease up sometimes when you're going at it like that. You got to ease up and show another side to the jury. And she, he never really did that. And she thought that was to his, um, not to his benefit, but to the benefit of Murdaugh. And she thought Murdaugh, uh, actually, in her words, won the courtroom today. Well, there's something to be said for that. But the one thing that people are not seeing here on purpose is the reaction of the jury to the testimony. The lawyers can look and see. But the jurors, um, I think you might remember early on, they were concerned about the people in the courtroom being warned that the identities of the jurors are not to be released. So you won't get juror shots, cut shots in, in typical trials, especially in this one. So you don't know how that reaction is. You know, she's got her opinion, and, of course, she's got some experience and, and uh, you know, the good points to think about. Um, but there is something about too much piling on too much in sympathy. But, you know, I think there's there's so much of the, the lies that now Alex Murdoch is admitting to that maybe that's not going to be such a big deal that uh, Mr. Waters was uh, a bulldog throughout the day. Um, you got to show some emotion. You got to show as a prosecutor, you're protecting the memories of the people who died. Um, and you can't just be a wooden person uh, up there. So, you know, those are the types of things that looking back, you might say, oh, that's the reason why. But you really don't know what's going through the jury's mind, except some of the things that, you know, she raised and you raised uh, that, you know, what are they thinking about this guy Murdoch? And if you looked at what he said and what he, about the most important things in the timeline and lying, and lying about the timeline and being around there, uh, you know, it's so many lies. And yeah. and then, you know, Waters finished, Prosecutor uh, Creighton Waters finished, not with the events that happened at the, um, at the kennel from Alex Murdoch's mouth. He went through that after doing the financial crimes in the morning. He went through that, and then he went to the, um, the attempted suicide attempt, and then he went back to the scene with the video of the first person on the scene, and he tried to say, okay, if we take everything into account, here's the first person on the scene, no one from SLED that you might mistrust. Your first reaction to the Cotton County Sheriff's Department on the body cam is, you know, the lake, I mean, the, the boat accident, uh, you know, and, and, and the vile things people say. When he said earlier in the day that he didn't believe that the parents or anyone connected to the boat accident that, that caused the loss of life, were related to or caused the murder, the murders of his uh, wife and child. So, you know, it, it's it, they were put back at the scene with that first thing, and mm-hmm. that's just um, the part that they have to um, they have to say. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean that he lied about this? He lied about that. He, he had all these things that he shouldn't have done, and um, you know, they're all going to ask themselves. But does that mean he murdered? And I think that's where this this concept of having a reasonable doubt by one person is all that you need to get a hung jury. And if you get the hung jury, then it's not an acquittal, but they got to try them again. And then what do you do? Yeah, who wants to go through that again? But I'm sure they would. But let me ask you this. Have you, in your years, being involved in the law, in the courtroom, watching it from afar, ever seen a situation, and I guess this is maybe more common than I would know, where you've got a uh, a two-part situation here. You've got a guy who's been charged with the financial crimes. Now you've got the same guy charged with a capital murder crime. And he, of course, 
here in the capital murder crime, he's admitting to all these other crimes related to the financial charges. So he's basically, have a, he's not basically, he's admitted to everything he did wrong in stealing all that money from everybody else. You don't even need a trial on those charges once this trial is over, right? Um, whether well, he's, well, you, do you have to have a trial? Because he's, he's publicly yeah. admitted to all the wrongdoings. You, see, you have to have a trial. You have to play that to the jury, but you uh, on that on those charges. But you bring up a great point. I mean, I I don't think I can remember a time like this. There are plenty of civil cases where someone says, "I'm not testifying in a civil case. I'm not giving a deposition in a civil case because I have a criminal charge hanging over my head." And of course, you know, plaintiff's lawyers like me, you know, don't like those things because you can't get your civil case taken. And, and it's not usually the charge is not murder. Usually it's something else. Mm-hmm. But it, during the testimony today, you know. Murdoch, again, volunteered something to open the door to testimony. He said that his defense team tried to offer to want to sit down with the prosecutors and explain how he had done all these bad financial things, and they didn't want to do it. So Creighton Waters pressed him on that, according to the, uh, the written accounts. There was an objection from his attorney, and it, it, was, it was overruled because Murdoch opened the door that he wanted to. And, and Creighton Waters said, you mean to tell me that you told one to sit down and tell us that you were lying about this timeline, that you actually were at the kennels at 845 when they were killed just a few minutes later. And, of course, that's not the reason he brought it up. He tried to bring it up to show how reasonable he was, and it turns against him. Um, you know, and Waters pressed on changing the alibi, uh, the lies. Um, he, he, Alex used a word like left out, a phrase like left out, about he was at the kennels that night. And those things are not going to sit well with the jury. Um, they, they put, there's something interesting that came out that uh, the phone records of Alex's phone shows he took more steps in about a five-minute period around 9 p.m. the night of the murders than any other time during the whole day. And, of course, Alex interjects that he doesn't have much specific memory of what he did, but, it's, but he said something like, it's not what you're thinking I was doing, cleaning off those guns or washing them or putting them in a raincoat. So he's trying to anticipate and score points, and I think it's not going to come off well with him with all the lies he had. Um, you know, he, he said he called Maggie and Paul to say he was leaving when Waters, the prosecutor, said, why didn't you just drive back down to the kennels? It was only 1,100 yards away. So you know that he measured it. <laughs> yeah. Or had someone measure it. And he said, and of course, he, Alex says, well, he had no reason to go down there. But he's going to tell him he's leaving, but he's going to use a phone. And maybe that's modern, and maybe that's not. Um, you know, he didn't know. He said something also that seemed weird. I didn't know. I didn't. I don't believe I was lying at that point. The night of the murders, when I talked, when I left out about the kennels, because I was under the influence of these opioids and, you know, the horrible murders. Now, the horrible murders can be understood. And I look back through that interview with Sled in the car, and he looked like a man who was, who had seen his murdered, murdered wife and his murdered child on the ground, and he was so upset by it. But you know, people are going to ask themselves in the jury room, was that just remorse after it happened, after he had been had some hand in it, after he had done that, uh, you know, or was it truly he was surprised by it all? Um, you know, uh, when he was talking about the, the, the didn't think the family of the boat victims had anything to do with their murders, um, you know, Water said, so some random five foot two vigilante who did it, because the testimony of the expert witness was that the angle of the shot to Paul had to come from about Alex's knee height, which would have been about, you know, um, waist high for someone who's about five foot two. So that's something that's going to be back, heard, be debated back in the jury room is, you know, what about the angle? It, what does that tell us? 
Um, and as I said before, Waters went on from the murder scene after financial crimes, the murder scene to the suicide attempt, and then he went back to that original video as if to say, okay, Alex, if we believe everything else, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. What about this video with the Collin County Sheriff, first one on the scene? You brought up the fact that I hadn't seen Maggie and Paul for 45 minutes before he left at 9.02, when in fact he had seen him at 8.45, and they were killed a few minutes afterward. Um, you know, his lawyer got a chance to redirect and say, and, and this is where the judge let this in. You don't normally get a chance to ask the same question again. But he was asked, did you kill Maggie and Paul? And he said no. Mm-hmm. Um, and the prosecution uh, was finished, and the defense said they got four more witnesses next week, about an hour each. So it again boils down to is he's been proven a liar. He's admitted he's a liar. Does that mean he killed his wife and his son? Yeah, With the other it's going to be fascinating there. going into next week. We'll let you run. Have a great weekend. Thanks for the insight. We'll hook up with you next week as this thing starts to wrap up. It's going to be something to see when they sit down and try and make that verdict and then announce that thing. It'll be one of those where were you when they announced the verdict thing. So we will talk to you yeah. next week. Yeah, try to count up all the theories that people tell you over the weekend about what they think really happened. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Jim, thank okay. you, man. Right. We appreciate it. Thank you. Jim Corbett, attorney for the Stars, special counsel for Sports Talk. Fortunately, we don't need any special counsel. That's a good thing, right? It's a very good thing. All right, we'll go to the break, and when we come back, it'll be time to go to NASCAR because we're going racing out in Fontana, California this weekend. It's going to be the Pala Casino 400, race number two, coming off the weekend at Daytona. Is there going to be a letdown by Ricky Stenhouse Jr.? Will it be somebody else to step up and uh, take the trophy home? Jeff Owens will join us after the break when we come back. Show your team pride wherever you go with Founders Federal Credit Union's Collegiate Debit Cards. Get your University of South Carolina and Clemson University debit cards at any Founders office or by calling 1-800-845-1614. Plus, our debit cards are digital wallet ready, so you can pay however you please. Not a member? Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Life, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com. Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. Ready, <laughs> 
Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's go racing, boys. One more time in California. Yeehaw! Let's go racing, boys. Let's go racing, boys, in Fontana. It's going to be the last time racing there, at least in its current uh, setup. We welcome in Jeff Owens into the fast lane here on Sports Talk. Great to have you with us. Before we talk about Fontana in California, what was your take on Daytona? What did you think about how things played out there? Yeah, Phil, I, I think it was a pretty good race. It's kind of what we've come to expect about Daytona. Um, you know, they, they ran around for a while, got themselves in position, and got to the end, and then they just started wrecking. Uh, hmm. That's sort of what we've come to expect uh, there. A lot of several wrecks there at the end, and uh, it kind of took out some leaders and shuffled the pack. And uh, and then at the end, we get a green-white checkered finish, and we get another upset for the third year in a row. Uh, a guy that you really didn't expect to win that race uh, comes out on top in Ricky Stenhouse. Uh, great win by him, and uh, he's sort of become a little bit of a master of those tracks. He's got three career victories now, all three of them on restricted plate tracks, and two of them at Daytona. Uh, and a great, just you know, good win for him, and a great story for that team. This is a one of those single car teams that's been doing this for a long time. That was only the second Cup victory they've ever had, and uh, so a good story for them. And uh, you know. We go back to that question we keep talking about, the, the parity. Uh, you know, we get another upset. And, uh, you know, if, if that's any indication, we're going to see a lot of parity again this year. Yep, yep. It's going to be uh... – I mean, that was a great thing about last year. So many teams had a chance to put winning cars out there. And here you go again with a, a team that's not uh, super funded like so many of the other big teams. They have to have help from Hendrick Motorsports with their motors, and they get assistance there. They don't have all the, the big sponsorships that some of the other teams do, but they do find a way to be competitive, and they go and get the, uh, the biggest jewel out there to uh, start the season. Yeah, really good, really good story for them, and uh, and I think that's what you know NASCAR has been striving for. We see that often on the restrictor plate tracks. Just the nature of that racing gives a lot of different teams uh, a chance to win, and I think that's really why we keep seeing these these upsets. I mean, there's nowhere the racing is closer and more competitive than it is at Daytona and Talladega. Uh, but you know, this is what NASCAR wants. They want it to be competitive. They want every team to have What do you think about uh, the fact this is the last race at this track as it's uh, currently laid out? Uh, Kerry Tharp told us they may go to a short track setup there, and NASCAR could be coming back there at some point. What do you know? What do you think about what's going on there? Yeah, well, this is a result of, you know, they've had sort of um, some struggles there over the years, I think. You know, not great racing. They've had a struggle drawing fans a little bit. So they came up with this idea a couple of years ago, really during the, the COVID years, they, they did not go out there and race. Um, and they decided that they're going to take that track and uh, tear it up and build a short track, uh, which theoretically I think is a great idea. Uh, you could 
bring better racing uh, to that track and, and maybe draw more fans. But things are getting really murky now. Uh, you know, they just sold uh, a bunch of that land that they have there to a real estate developer, and they mm-hmm. only maintain 89 acres of land. So the question now is, is that even enough to build a short track facility? That's about a third of the acreage they have at Bristol and Martinsville, which is a little bit suspicious to me. Um, and I know, you know, I've heard from, from some people this week who are very skeptical that they're even going to do that. Uh, NASCAR is not, not able to tell you right now whether they're going to build a short track or not. They don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, they're definitely not going back there next year. So I'm starting to get a little skeptical about whether they'll ever go back there. Uh, selling that much land is a red flag to me. Uh, I don't know how you build a, a good store track with just 89 acres of land. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate that this is the last race. And, you know, what's ironic is that the racing there for years was not very good. Now the track is worn out. And uh, the race has been pretty good the last few years, and the drivers kind of like it. But, you know, if they kept it the way it is, they're going to have to repay and all that. So this is an interesting story and one to keep your eye on. But uh, I'd say the jury's out on whether we ever go back there or not. Mm, All right. Where do you think they go next year to fill in the hole on the schedule? Any idea? Any scuttlebutt? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's another interesting question. You know, where do they go to fill that spot? There's a lot of talk right now about trying to create some more stadium-style racing like they do at the L.A. Coliseum, building a, a makeshift short track in the middle of a stadium. They really want to go to New York City. Uh, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but uh, they've had their eye on that for a long time. They've had their eye on markets like Seattle. Uh, and some others. So I think they'd like to recreate something like that, uh, a stadium-style track. Uh, but we'll see. They, they have a lot of possibilities. There's a lot of road courses out there and uh, that they could go to, and that seems to be a trend. They also want to get back to more short track racing. So uh, I think that's a possibility as well. So uh, we'll see. they got an open spot, and we'll see what they do with it. Well, I'd say this about uh, this weekend. Three of the last five winners have the first name Kyle. So I would go with somebody named Kyle to win Sunday at Fontana. Absolutely. Uh, Kyle Larson is a guy that won last year. He's really good on these tracks. So uh, I think he, I'd go with him. And uh, But I've watched Kyle Busch, too. Kyle Rick was awfully good there. Led a lot of laps in the car that Kyle Busch is now driving. Hey, Jeff, you have a great weekend. Fantastic insight. We appreciate you as always. We'll talk to you next week. Jeff Owens in the fast lane here on Sports Talk. Birdies, bogeys, and biceps are coming up next. Four. Straight down the middle. It went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook just a wee, wee bit. And that's when my caddy lost sight of it. That little white pellet has never been found to this day. Okay, welcome back into Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network, here on this Friday night time for some birdies, bogeys, and biceps around the state of South Carolina, starring George Bryan, Robbie Thames, 
and a special guest coming up in just a moment. As we bring the guys in, let me update what's happening on the uh, tour stops, the PGA Tour, the Honda Classic, second round suspended because of, I guess, uh, maybe weather, darkness down there. As the tour makes the move to the East Coast, the Florida run here over the next few weeks, Justin Sue, 64, he's at 10 under. Chris Kirk, a 62, he's at 9 under. They are at the top of the leaderboard. Look who up else is up there very tight. Ben Martin, former Clemson standout, 64 today. He's 7 under. Carson Young, a 70 today. He's at 5 under. Andrew Novak on the course, suspended at minus 2. William McGirt, a 66. He's at minus 1. Bill Haas, a 68. He's even for the tournament. Kyle Stanley. A 73 is plus one. Doc Redmond, a 71, is plus three. Jay Bird, Jonathan Bird, a 73, he is plus three. And Scott Brown, a 75, he is plus uh, 11. The the, uh, uh, Live Golf Tournament in Mexico, Jason Kokrak, six under. Paul Casey, six under. Peter uh, Uline, he's at four under. Uh, Taylor Gooch is at four under. Carlos O'Connor. Ortiz is at four under. Here's Dustin Johnson tied for sixth at three under par. At the top of that leaderboard as they play down in Mexico. We welcome in GB3. What a week. I tell you what, George, if you didn't have to work for a living, if you didn't have to teach the game to other people, you probably could have gotten in about 100 holes of golf today. The weather's been so perfect for the game. Maybe a little windy, but I like some wind behind me. Don't like it in front of me, but I don't mind it when it's behind me. Well, it's at our backs on every Friday night about 730. Mm. Uh, And (laughs) it's a beautiful preview to our upcoming spring. And, oh, my goodness, I love the bugs were out. I love bugs in February, too. The the little breeze kept the bugs out. And I can also – I can see that Bermuda grass starting to get a little tent. And I think that's why – some of our players, our homegrown players, are doing well on the East Coast down at the Honda. Uh, they're used to seeing the Bermuda grass, and they get comfortable in these kind of conditions. So, uh, in, in our beautiful spring, we got it today, and oh my goodness, four or five weeks out, here it comes. Well, let me ask you a quick question about that. I mean, for us uh, knuckleheads who just, we don't care what grass condition you know, we usually play on dirt so we don't really consider the grass conditions when we're playing but i mean why would the grass conditions on the west coast versus the grass conditions here on the east coast the southeast in florida why would it make such a big difference in somebody's game hey i tell you what i'm gonna let our guest clarissa Charles, come on on i'm gonna welcome welcome to the uh to birdies bogeys and what we have renamed biceps clarissa good evening how you doing is clarissa on the tee there she is clarissa welcome i'm on now (laughs) you are now and hey we're gonna uh, welcome in clarissa and we have clarissa child she is former gamecock currently executive director for the Women's South Carolina Golf Association. And also, let's bring Robbie, Tsunami Robbie Thames to the tee so we can go ahead and get 
and tee off. Welcome, hmm. Tsunami Robbie. I have joined the group and ready to play. <laughs> well, <laughs> Clarissa, don't know if you heard the question. We'll tee it up again. Phil wants to know uh, the difference in the West Coast grass and the East Coast, considering you are very familiar with that. Uh, I'll let you ladies first. You go ahead and uh, give us a little feedback. All right. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Glendale, California, and until I came here to uh, uh, USC, the real USC for school. Hmm. And um, uh, our grass mostly out there was either bent, um, poana, zoysia, or kakuya. Uh, we didn't have really Bermuda. In fact, when I came out here on uh, my recruiting trip, it was in the fall, and Woodlands Country Club was our home course at the time. And, and I get there, and the course was all brown. And a brown course in California is dead. I'm like, you guys play here? The course is dead. <laughs> and uh, they're like, no, it turns green. I'm like, ah, no, brown grass doesn't turn green. I'm like, it's dead. And they had to convince me that the grass would be green um, when I came back to school here. But it just comes out different. It, it grabs a little differently. Um, the grasses in California grow most, mostly straight up. Where the Bermuda grows, you know, it kind of crawls, and so it grabs the club differently. So it's just different shots that you have to hit and learn to, uh, especially around the greens with the wedges, to get it out. Well, and that was a beautiful answer. Mm. I would say uh, Bermuda is, for the folks on this side, pretty easy. And and uh, on the, when I say this side, the East Coast, Bermuda folks are accustomed. If they go west, it gets a little more difficult. I think that's why some of our guys don't do all that well on the West Coast. That Kakuya, it, it, the ball's sitting, and it doesn't appear to be very difficult, but it is tricky. Uh, and you end up – this is just my opinion, Clarissa. You play the mm-hmm. Bermuda uh, – you play the Kakuya a lot like the Bermuda, and too many people try to change their form. And the result – now, the Poana's a different story. That's completely different. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you play a shot very similar to what you know in the Kakuya from off the green, and it works out. Uh, what do you think about that? No, I agree. Yeah, you just kind of um, – I've played courses where it's the same shot or, you know, Bermuda, you have to actually bounce the wedge behind the ball and have it bounce up into the ball to get it out of the Bermuda. Um, it's It's interesting how different parts – you know, the grass grows obviously a little bit different, even though it might even be the same grass. But, uh, you know, I grew up in the foothills in California, so I like the bent and the, the rye grass and the more so. But I have learned to play the Bermuda being out here so long, too. Well, the, the Bermuda has grain in it on the greens. And although it's smooth and, and very fast, the, uh, the grain does affect the ball as it slows down. So out on the Poana... The Poana, incidentally, we spray out our Poana on the East yeah. Coast, and they, they fertilize and cut it and cultivate it on the West Coast. Exactly. It's like a tabletop out there for us. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's kind of interesting how we look at grass on the, uh, in golf, and but the, uh, excuse me, the Poana, it seeds in the afternoon, so it technically changes uh, the way it rolls and talk a little bit about the difference in the late afternoons on that poana grass out west versus in the morning yeah so um the poana so where i grew up in foothills you know it didn't get really 
hot enough for it to bloom in the day. But when we play it in uh, New Jersey, at Ocean City, we play the uh, golf course there, and they had Poana. And, man, you wanted that morning tea time because by two, there was little blossoms on the green, and a, a three-footer was a whole lot different than it was when it was smooth and fresh cut. Um, yeah. So it made a, whole, a lot different. So you really don't see many Poana greens on the East Coast, like you said, George. They, you know, they kill it out here. It's just like a no-no. <laughs> well, yeah, and so we jumped right in with a with a question. We went hot and live, and so just a little background with Clarissa. She, I guess, some over 20 years ago, 25 years ago, early 90s, uh, Clarissa was a, a USC Gamecock, came in playing for Christy Coggins, and four, three or four years, all SEC, correct me, uh, I think it's four years, all SEC. Yep, four Clarissa. years. And then yes. five years on the LPGA tour and currently on the senior tour. So uh, talk a little bit about we were, we were at the Carolinas PGA show, Tsunami Robbie. You'll come in and talk and add to this in a bit. We were talking about something upcoming. Clarissa is still active, very good player. And talk about what you have coming up this spring, Clarissa. Um, see, so yeah, I've got, uh, you know, there's not that many, uh, we'll call them legends events or senior events for the women. Um, but I have the, I'm playing in the Arizona Women's Open end of April. Um, the senior LPGA championship, uh, in June, end of June. And then we have our South Carolina Women's Open that, um, I co-host with Christy Coggins, who I played with, um, here in Columbia at Cobblestone Park, uh, second week of August. Um, and then it's like the BJ's Pro-Am up in Maryland uh, in September. Um, but, I, and of course, maybe some charity events in between. I, I love being the ringer on a charity team here in town. It's a lot of fun. Um, so, but I love playing. And then as the executive director for the Women's South Carolina Golf Association, uh, I host about, uh, me and my staff host about 45 women's tournaments throughout the state of South Carolina. So we're getting ready to go full board on that too as well. You do a great job with the website, and I was—I've always uh, probably end up referencing that website as much. It's pretty easy. I can follow it. I can navigate, it, which is kind of scary, but the—it's uh, easy. And talk. How do you, how do you find it if you're out there and interested in women's golf? So our website is www.wscga.org. Um, it is uh, to be a member of our association and play in everything that we offer. You do have to have an active uh, gin handicap in the state of South Carolina. Um, and if you're not a member of a club, that's no big deal. We have what's called an e-club handicap as well that you can get. And that makes you eligible to play in all the events that we host. And then you would just create a profile in our system and start registering. And we have all kinds of events, stroke play, team events, scrambles, championships, uh, the beauty of all of it is whether it's a championship or a one-day event is we pair you and we flight you by your handicap. So regardless of what event you're playing in, you're going to be playing with people of your same caliber. So there's really nothing to be do, intimidated by. You do a marvelous job with with junior girls golf. Talk a little bit about that too, please. Yeah, we have our uh, junior golf foundation, the WSCGA Junior Golf Foundation. Uh, we have a few um, 
tournaments that we host. We host the best high school, girls' high school event in the state, and that is actually going to be end of September, and we are partnering with Rosie Jones in Moss Creek this year. And going forward, um, they're going to add some kind of pro-am or charity event on the front end of it to raise money for our junior foundation. So that's awesome. Um, we do a player development program that we started last year where we'll reimburse the juniors up to $200 in golf lessons. So we want them to go get lessons. We want them to, to learn and be better. Um, and so we're reimbursing them $200 worth of golf lessons. And then also we have a junior assistance program where we reimburse them up to $400 in entry fees. So we also want them to compete and get out and, you know, learn the etiquette, learn the game. I mean, it's such a life skill playing golf in itself. So even if they just play as juniors, they'll learn so much. Uh, and then we also have the Bob Handler Foundation Scholarship. Uh, it's three or $3,000 scholarships we give to a, a senior every year to, to pursue her, pursue, I can't even talk, pursue hmm. her education. Um, and it doesn't have to be, she doesn't have to go to school and continue to play golf. Just, you know, has been playing golf in the junior program and then wants to continue her education in some way or form. Excellent. Excellent. And speaking of form, we, uh, we had a little brief discussion at our Tsunami Bar Sports booth up at, up in Greensboro, at the Greensboro Coliseum. And you were talking about your upcoming schedule and the fact that you're going to do the qualifier for the women's U.S. Open. Where's uh, where's the Open this year, Clarissa? So the U.S. Women Open this year is at Pebble Beach. Um, and so I thought, what a great tournament to go play, mm. of course. Mm. So uh, so I have to get in shape. <laughs> because you have to walk 36 holes for the qualifier, and there's where Tsunami comes in. <laughs> there's where we go live with and bring in Tsunami <laughs> Robbie and so considering, I know when when you were when we were at the uh, in the booth there, you thought that I was the muscle, but and you know that's kidding. I'm not. Tsunami Robbie, to, to, let's re- relive the conversation and some things that uh, Clarissa's already in great shape, and and the things that she might do. What did you suggest she may do in order to get ready for her 36 hole qualifier? And she's got plenty of time couple of months yeah Take the, it away. Uh, first thing I, I would uh i would recommend is uh clarissa uh do you have your caddy yet because i am available um, <laughs> well <laughs> i know but yeah you know what christy coggins is my caddy for that one so you'll have to fight her for it oh shoot i missed out all right well uh yeah, we've uh, yeah, we had a great discussion. Uh, uh, it was my first time meeting you, and it was a, a pleasure. And great listening to you tonight. Uh, you really gave us some great information on those on the grasses. A lot of the things I haven't uh, played on some of those grasses, so that was quite interesting to me. And uh, all the great stuff you're doing with the uh, with the ladies um, and golf in the state of South Carolina. I'm sure that that spreads out into the region. And um, and good luck with uh, with your pursuits as well. But uh, to get ready, uh, you just got to get uh, get busy on a, on a plan. It's, it's, it's always good to have a plan, uh, so you have a starting point somewhere in the middle and, and kind of where you want to peak out at before you maybe start a new cycle or or regenerate the plan. And uh, the tsunami bar is a great addition to any workout uh, if you're using it it, it, uh, it exclusively 
or adding it to a program that you have already have in existence. And it's, um, with the tsunami um, uh, tools that we have, uh, being that you're going to be traveling, uh, some of these are, are easy to carry with you. They fit right in your bag. You can take them with you, do them at the hotel, do them at the, uh, in the parking lot, do them on course, and um, stay flexible, stay mobile, get warmed up, get blood flow to the extremities. So when you get out there and, and prepare yourself uh, for play, uh, the tsunami technology is, is, a, is a way to go. Well, that uh, you got to, Clarissa. I'm guessing you have to walk in the qualifier. Yep, I'll have to walk. Um, Thirty-six. I can holes. have a caddy. One day. Thirty-six holes. One day. One day. Yeah. So that yeah. will be in the neighborhood of ten miles. And okay. considering the date, we're talking a May type date, correct? Yeah, like May 29th or something. May 30th. Hmm. So it will be it will be probably plenty warm. And have you selected your site? Do you know where you'll be qualifier? I do. I think I'm going to go to um, up in North Carolina, and I heard it's a very mountainous course. Um, I haven't played it, um, and hopefully I can sneak up there between now and then and get a couple extra practice rounds in. But um, yeah, so I know it's mountainous, which is good for what I grew up. I love the mountains, so bonus there. Um, but you know, I haven't really walked. Uh, 18 holes or 36 holes, well, 36 holes, uh, and probably, well, I can say over 10 years because um, I got ten- cancer 10 years ago and did the chemo thing, and it kind of takes a lot out of you. So um, I just really hadn't, uh, I reverted to cart golf, which I do love, but uh, I need to get back into walking golf. Well, the 12 weeks uh I don't say that's plenty of time, but it is enough time. And one of the things that with the lighter tools, speed sticks, the multi 47, those tools, I actually enjoy walking, uh, sitting at rest or walking and, and, or a very, I'll say a fast walk to a slow jog. And the, the technology works off of rhythm and tempo. So you can get a pace going, get a little bit, uh, so you can work off of and be inspired by the rhythm and trying to keep the rhythm. So more later on that, and it will be kind of fun. We're going to have you over to the gym. Tsunami Robbie, uh, remind me of that address and how folks out there listening may be able to figure out how to take a look at our website. Absolutely. 720 Chris Drive, West Columbia. Very easy to find, big manufacturing building. If you're coming down Lee Park Road, turn on Chris, take a left on Chris Drive or a right, depending on which way you might be coming. But Chris Drive and uh, off the 378, uh, if you're near the Lexington County Hospital, Chris Drive is uh, right next to the McDonald's at a stoplight. Very easy to find. And uh, we're open, um, goodness, I mean, you know, five days a week, just like any other other place. Usually start around 8 o'clock in the morning and end up around 5. And then uh, the gym will stay open longer than that. We're open before before five um, or before six in the morning, and uh, then later than six, usually six thirty to seven o'clock in the evenings. But um, come on by, take a peek. Uh, uh, it's real easy just to come in, ask anybody from from uh, me. Uh, you don't have to call me Tsunami Robbie, but everybody knows anyway. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'll be able to show you around and show you the tools and the technology and answer any questions that you might have. Hey, beautiful. And then, uh, Clarissa, this will definitely, uh, 
gets your attention. And when, when you visit, you'll see that we've broken ground. We've got, we'll have a, what we'll call a chipping putt, a nine hole chipping putt to, to compliment. We already have, uh, an exercise, uh, extra gym, but we have a golf lab. We're going to have a couple of simulators and, uh, outdoor, outdoor tsunami training field, but, Nine holes of chip and putt, and we'll have a, what we call a wedge range. So it'll, it'll be artificial. It'll light up. We'll have lights go into the evening, and it'll be year-round in great shape because of the artificial turf, some of the latest on that. And we've already broken ground. So, Clarissa, most don't know uh, that much about your short game, but it is some kind of strong. Do you still have that? You're, you had one of the first – pure putting strokes that I saw, uh, and I'm guessing you can still roll the rock. Hmm. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's what's kept me in the game um, is my short game, be able to get it up and down and, you know, rolling the rock. It's probably my favorite part of the game, that and hitting drivers. Uh, those two are my favorite um, part. But, yeah, I love love short game. I'm excited to see what you guys are doing out there. Um, that's going to be yeah, awesome. Well, what, what also could, could happen in, as we get closer to the spring uh, I can see Tsunami Robbie, Phil, Clarissa, and George going out to play a little golf. And, man, she absolutely rips the golf ball. She pounds it, hits it forever, and that will be a treat. And uh, I'm all for that. I'm all for that, then. George. <laughs> Count me in. Count me in. Uh, Clarissa, it's been a privilege having you on the show, and we will keep up. In fact, we'll – as we uh we'll have you back invite you back out uh on the radio and keep us uh posted on your progress so thanks so much for joining us clarissa absolutely thank you guys and uh i look forward to to coming out to the tsunami bar and uh giving it a whirl because we've got a u.s women's open to go play in absolutely and so what i'm gonna do tsunami robbie and Phil, I'm going to go ahead and sign off and go eat a little supper. Uh, So until next week, you guys TM high, but shoot them low. Guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. George, thank you. Robbie, thank you. And Carissa, thank you. And best of luck to you moving forward in your uh, endeavors uh, on the grasses, whether they are the brown grasses of South Carolina or the green grasses. Out there in California, we thank you so much for being with us. And uh, don't forget, folks, uh, the website for Tsunami Bar Sports. You can go to our website, sportstalksc.com, and click on that link. And it'll link you right to this little video there, and there's a link to Tsunami Bar Sports. And you use the uh, discount code uh, BBB5, you'll get 5% off, 5% off anything you purchase online there from Tsunami Bar Sports, and the stuff is excellent both from a golf standpoint and a conditioning standpoint. You don't have to be a golfer to use Tsunami Bar Sports stuff, and you don't have to be a physical fitness freak to use Tsunami Bar Sports stuff. I mean, it works in a variety of different ways, and you should go out and check out their location and their facility because it's uh, it's incredible. They make their equipment right there in West Columbia at their facility that they ship out worldwide from little old West Columbia, South Carolina. And I can't wait 
for that uh, pitching putt to be done. I'm going to go be the first one to play so I can set the course record that'll last for about 30 seconds. That'll do it. Pat, thank you. Uh, South Carolina has one and Clemson's 2-2 in the top of the ninth. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.